This episode of the Wolf of All Streets podcast is sponsored by Horizon and Whalefin. Please stay tuned for more information on them later in the episode. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where two times every week I talk to your favorite personalities from the world of Bitcoin, finance, music, sports, art, trading, basically anyone with a good story to tell. Now, this is the second time that I've had today's guest on and once before on YouTube, but anytime I see things going absolutely haywire in global markets, he's the first person I call to offer me some perspective. Dave Weisberger is the CEO of CoinRoutes, a company that provides algorithmic trading tools for buying and selling crypto, but he's so much more than that and has been in markets for decades and always has incredible perspective. Dave, thank you so much for coming back on and for this emergency session, we'll, we'll call it today. Thanks, Scott. It's it's always a pleasure, and it's just the one thing about the markets is they never fail to to zig while you think they should zag. <laughs> always yeah, tends to be the case. Absolutely true, right? Uh, markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent, but we are at peak irrationality right now. As we're recording this, a couple of days ago, Facebook reported earnings lost twenty five percent of their value, which was more effectively than the value of about four hundred and sixty of the five hundred companies in the S and P. Amazon reports earnings the next day, which are skinned as a positive, but are actually negative when you dig in, pumps 15%. Snapchat, the same night, goes down 23%. The day of trading is up 35% seven minutes later after hours. What the hell's going on in the stock market? Well, I mean, look, at, at the end of the day, everybody who, who makes arguments about how great the market structure is for the stock market, how evolved and mature, and how the SEC makes everybody safe are all full of crap. Let's face it, the stock market is a speculative casino where eventually in the long run, it helps create a, a, a basic idea of valuation for companies in the capital markets, but it's fundamentally broken. We know that. Companies are raising more money privately than ever before, and founders are raising are, get, are liquefying their investments when they go public. Public companies tend to be ones that don't need to raise additional financing, or if they do, they do it via secondary offerings, which are priced uh, independently or at least somewhat loosely correlated to the market. Moreover, we have stock markets in a 24-hour world that are open six or seven, depending on the, on the location, somewhere between six and nine hours a day, depending on where you are, causing what I call gap volatility. So I, I, I looked at Facebook the other day, and I just started laughing. Everybody who has been, you know, whether it's Nouriel Rubini, who comes out with his blithering trash takes on Bitcoin, or Paul Krugman, which was even dumber, uh, reading one of the dumbest editorials I have ever seen. Someone who's a Nobel laureate, who you would think after he he made his famous comment about the internet being no more important to the economy than a fax machine, he would have learned to shut his mouth on things he doesn't understand. Yet here we are making himself look intensely stupid two decades in a row, or actually it's 15 years in between them. So every 15 years, does Krugman have to say something that's mind-bogglingly dumb? Uh, you know, I don't know if he has another 15 years in quota. the public eye He's left. Got a quota. I mean, this one's yeah. really dumb. But 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 go back to, to Facebook. It's fascinating because I commented about this and no one really said it very much yesterday. The reality is people talk about Bitcoin and they talk about crypto and they say, it's so volatile. Oh my God, how could you possibly invest in it? I have never seen Bitcoin drop 25% in a minute. No. Never. I, I don't care what it is. I'm sure maybe in the in the early days, in the, you know, but in the last, really since the market started maturing since 2018, and it really has matured dramatically since 2018. 2017 was probably the end of the Wild West when you saw $1,000 differences between, you know, Bitcoin and uh, one exchange versus another and stuff like that and, and derivatives. But... Since it started to mature, you've never seen that. Now, why is that? Well, that's because the markets are 24-7. And so things happen. Instead of a big-ass rock being dropped in a pond, which causes this massive you know, geyser into the water and then all sorts of waves afterwards, you see what you normally would see. You see volatility and it starts to drop and it moves and it, and it does what it's going to do. And Bitcoin has dropped. Obviously, it's dropped 50% from its highs. We all understand that. Or did you know from to, from peak to trough in in the, the the most recent move? It's obviously rebounding off the floor now as we speak, but you don't see the sort of gap volatility. And so people who talk about volatility should understand there's a big difference. Gap volatility can't be traded. I want to repeat that for people because it's a really important point. It's literally, the can't. investor <laughs> has no ability to trade 
when the markets are closed. Yeah, you can, you know, you can buyer beware, caveat emptor sort of stuff. Some, some brokers give you ability, but there's no real liquidity when the market doesn't trade. So the average investor gets hosed when there's a, 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 a move like that. Sometimes you get a gap down and it stays there which is more or less what's happened with Facebook. It's actually below yesterday's gap low now, although it did rally yes. a bunch and been up and down. Sometimes you get a gap down because people don't know what to do and it rallies off the gap. The fact of the matter is, if you're able to participate the entire time, you're better off. It is almost axiomatic that the 24-7 infrastructure 24 that crypto has is better for the retail investor because they can participate at all times. It's a bit of a pain for companies like mine. We have to staff 24 hours. You know, we have our systems have to be up. It's very hard to you know, make changes. We have to do everything scheduled. We understand all that. But it is undeniable from an investment per, investor protection point of view that it's better. And people look at the Facebook thing yesterday, they just kind of shrug their shoulders and they don't care. It's a big deal. And it really is important that every time someone whines about Bitcoin being volatile, that they really should remember back to what happened yesterday with Facebook or go back you know, last year to what happened with Robinhood. And you saw even bigger moves. And so that, right. that's why Same I thought stuff. that was important. Sorry for the diatribe, but it, it is, no. is kind of crazy. It's, an, it's incredibly important. I mean, if you look at the sheer numbers and market cap eliminated, it's like Facebook went through a depression in, in one hour. Now, if it was a the market. matter is, I'll play devil's advocate for a second. It's like one of the biggest problems with a company, with, with the reasons private markets tend to be where, where companies want to be rather than public, is public markets care about next quarter. Private markets care about the long-term growth. Now, you could argue with Zuckerberg's philosophy, you could say that he's too centralized to really be part of the metaverse, to really be part of Web3, that it really should be more open source. And, and there are lots of arguments on both sides. I don't think anybody really can make a strong argument that his long-term vision isn't an improvement over what Facebook was becoming. 100%. I, I haven't seen anybody. I don't think anybody would argue that the long-term prospects for what is now Meta is uh, was materially different yesterday morning versus the day before. Exactly. But the short term clearly it was 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 bad. I mean, look, it, you know, it was it was a bad earnings report. When you get to situations like that, it makes people reassess. And essentially, what happens is it, it is you're talking about the almost the blow off bottom. If you think about what's happened with, you know, all of Kathy Wood's ARC holdings, you know, the, 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 the big, you know, the high tech, the, the, the big tech stocks have all been kind of underperforming. You know, I, I, I think the world of Cliff Asnes and what he does at AQR, but the reality is January was probably the best month for, quote, value stocks in a very long time. Yeah. It actually makes sense that that's the case in, in, in a sense, because value stocks tend to be correlated to, well, value. I mean, wh you know, whether or not something, you know, thing has an intrinsic worth. And we're in a situation where at least people believe that the Federal Reserve is going to uh, put a damper on speculation by raising interest rates. Now, I don't believe that for a heartbeat, and I'll, I'll explain why later. But the <laughs> fact is the market has priced that in. And so when the market prices it, and you would expect value to outperform and the speculative stocks to go down. So when you look at something like Facebook, which more or less confirmed what people already sort of knew, which is that their short term isn't as rosy as people thought. And they're pivoting to this big long term thing, which is by its nature speculative. Of course, they punish the stock. Now, is that going to turn out in the long run to be a smart move for people who sold it there? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I tend I to think, think so. not. I bought Facebook today to be totally transparent. <laughs> I, I just, I, I, I just want to be clear that that's that's the give and take that's happening. I mean, it's a similar thing in in crypto and digital assets. You're seeing the more speculative uh, names or or pairs or or projects get punished far more. Than, than other projects, but it really depends. I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of rationality in you know, how things get judged between project and project. And you talk about this on your podcast all the time, so I won't bother de delving into anything because I don't really have strong opinions on the short-term trading of a lot of these crypto projects. I just, with the exception of Bitcoin, where I think that the market is pretty well voted already, that the mid thirties to the low thirties, there is an enormous amount of buying and there's not enough speculative selling power in the world to push past that. You'd have to actually dislodge Bitcoin from 
what the community would call diamond hands in order to make it go below that. It seems like we have our floor. And what I think we want to talk about is, well, okay, so what's next? And, and that's a really interesting question. And, I, and that I think is worth talking about. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I want to stick to Bitcoin for sure, because I know that we both uh, were mightily impressed and thrilled when we saw the recent Fidelity report Bitcoin first come out. And you had some amazing takes about that. So I want to dive deeper into how powerful that report was and how important it is when you zoom out and look at it. I, I think that there, there are, are two well, there's a lot of really important points that they make, but there are a few points that they make that are fascinating. I mean, the most important one is all the people who look at Bitcoin as well, of course, it's a technology and therefore a newer, better technology is going to come along and replace it. They basically took a baseball bat upside the head of that argument and smashed it. It's a dumb argument because Bitcoin is much more than technology, it's really a monetary good. And they explain it really well. And I'm looking at the chart in front of me, it's actually kind of interesting, where they list off the, the seven characteristics Attributes. that make something money. And Bitcoin wins on six of the seven, and the only one it hasn't won on is track record. But what's fascinating <laughs> about that is it has much more of a track record than any other newer technology that could come along and really to try to build what it's built in terms of network effects on a distributed basis is i think it's a once in a generation uh maybe even multi-generation uh type of event i mean the fact that you have this distributed market you have this pseudonymous pseudonymous uh creator satoshi nakamoto and now you have so many people who have bitcoin nodes etc cetera, etc cetera. it has grown up and its track record is actually pretty good it just isn't good as a store of value and, and, uh, and also, you can't hold a, you can't hold against it the fact that it's only existed for thirteen years. Right. right? The biggest well, point against is it wasn't invented earlier, right? right? Because you're comparing it obviously to fiat and gold, which have a much right. longer track rather record, whether you believe it's a good one or not. But but when you look at and and this doesn't even take into account the digital nature of the world as it's evolving, how everything, all payments will be digital, how your lives are digital. Yes, you want to interact. I, I think that, you know, the metaverse is cool in many ways and virtual reality is awesome and, you know, for playing games and stuff and for uh, you know, medical uses. There's lots of uses for, for virtual and augmented reality. The reality is even in person, when our cleaning lady comes over, she wants to be paid by a Zelle. Right. It, it doesn't matter. We're all going digital. It's easier. It's simpler. And you'll see you know, that evolution. But even taking that into account, you know, on the, the six categories or you know, characteristics of money that, uh, that they talk about, which are the same ones that I talk about, durability, uh, Bitcoin and gold are both better than fiat, but whatever. Divisibility, Bitcoin is far better than gold. Fungibility, Bitcoin and gold, you would argue, is the same. Uh, portability, Bitcoin is massively better. And here's the important two. On verifiability, Bitcoin is is clearly in a class by itself because of the <laughs> yeah. nature of the public blockchain. Yeah. And scarcity, Bitcoin is in a, a case by itself. I mean, gold, they say, is scarce. It has an inflation rate of around the same as Bitcoin's now, somewhere between 1.8 and 2%, depending. But there are asteroids in the universe that have a lot of gold. Gold is actually not as scarce as Bitcoin. It is more likely that we will perfect uh, asteroid mining and increase the, the global gold supply dramatically than it is that Bitcoin's 21 million cap is going to be broken. So sure. the reality is it's actually more scarce. So when you look at all of that, you start asking yourself the question, well, okay, what the hell does that mean from a value point of view? And that's where the rubber meets the road. So what you're talking about with, with Bitcoin is looking at, okay, what's the monetary value of gold and, and what should the monetary value of gold be? So you have two stops. Stop number one, just what is it? So gold's about 11 to 12 trillion in market cap. Arguably three quarters of that market cap, around 9 trillion, is monetary value. The rest is jewelry and other assorted uses. Now, how do I answer this question? How do I come up with that? Well, I come up with that really easily by looking at the gold-silver ratio. Uh, I could make it a much bigger percentage if I look at the gold-platinum ratio, but that's a different right. story. But the gold-silver ratio is important because silver used to be money. That gold effectively demonetized silver last century. Silver and gold in the Earth's crust have a 15 to 1 ratio. Silver and gold for thousands of years traded at a 15 to 1 ratio, 10 to 1, 15 to 1, whatever. 
Silver is nowhere near as portable as gold as inflation started happening and gold was not on a gold standard. Once we went off the gold standard, gold demonetized silver. Why? Because silver became just prohibitively expensive to use as money. Just did, right? It's too, it just weighed too much. I mean, I have, you know, you ever have a monster box of 500 silver coins? I do. Uh, and you're not, it, it, you could carry, what, seven, eight gold coins to basically be, what's this, 500? I mean, it, it's a crazy thing. And so, you can carry all the Bitcoin in the world in your mind. So that, that's there right. You go. Well, <laughs> yeah, there are some people can. I can't remember that. I can't remember that. I can't remember that, them that. either, but in theory. Okay, so then you can, uh, you know, but, write but it now, down. So you do yeah. the math and you say, okay, great. So gold is trading between 70 and 100 times. So you start doing the math and you say, okay, well, that difference is the monetary value of gold as opposed to the jewelry value of gold. And that difference equates to about $9 trillion. So Bitcoin is superior, clearly, even before you look at the digital world. It's way more, it's way even more superior in the digital world. So you come to the conclusion that Bitcoin becoming digital gold, if it gets there and has that acceptance, it's worth somewhere around 15 times what it's trading at. Well, last week when I wrote that, you know, maybe 14 times today, I haven't done the math. But that's the beginning. Yeah. That's the base case. Now, there's a lot of smart money that looks at something that gives you a 10 to 15 to 1 payoff and believes that it's like a 50-50 chance that it gets there and says, this is something I want to shove all my chips into the table for. And what Fidelity is basically saying in that report is, this is a fait accompli. So now you have one of the world's largest asset managers telling anyone who will listen, including all the smart hedge funds and all the smart individuals, that this is a fait accompli. But who hasn't acted yet? Well, I'll tell you who hasn't acted yet. Everyone. I haven't seen, well, I haven't seen one investment consultant, whether it's Towers Perrin or Mercer, et cetera. So therefore, pension funds who want to invest in Bitcoin are doing it under the guise of what's called alternative investments, which is a much, much smaller part of the multi-trillion dollar asset collection that they have. Well, what happens the day, and I said this to you, I think the very first time we talked, what happens the day that the investment consulting community says, you know what, this is a fait accompli. I need to have in my quote 60-40 portfolio some allocation, 2%, 5%, whatever, to Bitcoin at where I used to put gold. What happens? Well, there isn't enough Bitcoin. There's only ever going to be 21 million. A bunch of them have been lost. A lot of them are in very strong hands. This is the classic example of what, what is often used slowly then suddenly. On that day, when that happens, the price of Bitcoin could do pretty much anything because there won't be enough to satisfy the demand. Remember, that's demand from people who believe that the price should be somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 times what it is today. So it's a really interesting dynamic. And so when you see Fidelity writing this report, that matters. But, you know, as the great knife salesman from, you know, from Ronco would say, but there's more. The reality is gold, because of its shortcomings, has not kept up as a store of value. And you can ask yourself why. I mean, gold used to be 100, represent 100% of global monetary aggregates. It fell uh, about 15 years ago, you know, in its last rally, it got to somewhere around 10 or so percent. It's languished since then. As monetary printing has gone on, gold has not kept pace with monetary printing. People always say, well, monetary printing is what's fueling Bitcoin, and that is true. It's on the margin. The smart money says, okay, I need to hedge against this monetary printing. But gold hasn't kept pace. So what would gold be if it had kept pace with monetary printing? And I've seen estimates anywhere from the low end is double where it is today. The high end is 5x what it is today. And that is your terminal state of Bitcoin just as a global store of value. And that doesn't even talk about what happens if Bitcoin becomes legal tender in a large part of the world, which is yet another order of magnitude bigger than that. So when you start looking at, at outcomes, the point that I make all the time is Bitcoin trades like an option, but I've just laid out for you what those out outcomes are. Now, those outcomes don't happen overnight. And people, I, I constantly hear you caution your, your subscribers and thank you from the bottom of everyone who, who looks at investments heart for doing so. Leverage is dangerous and short-term time preferences are particularly dangerous with, with something like Bitcoin because Bitcoin effectively trades like an option on that outcome set that I just described. It may not happen, obviously, but if you think there is a material chance of that option set materializing, then it's a generational opportunity. And even if it's 1%, right? We talk about 2%, 5%, 10%, even if it was a half a percent, 
Even if it was a quarter of a percent that everyone allocated to Bitcoin. There's not enough. Right. They're just never, it's not even close. But that makes you realize that- 50 and 60 millionaires, 50 or or 60 million millionaires on the planet, and there's 21 million Bitcoin. Right. And as you said, there's really probably going to be about 15 million Bitcoin and maybe five or six on the open market, considering how many are in strong hands. So so you start asking yourself the question. Obviously, uh, I think we talked about this. I personally think the smart move would be uh, for people who really care to start measuring Bitcoin in Satoshis rather than in whole Bitcoin yeah. because it doesn't Break really it matter. And it turns off the the really, well, I hate to say it, but ignorant investors who think that 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 you know that that low price means higher possibility for appreciation. It really should always be about market cap. But the reality of the situation is that you know the number of Satoshis, stacking sats, all of that stuff that the people in the Bitcoin community use, they're right. I mean, that is the right way to think about it. And it's really a simple question. You know, I, I, I like to play poker. When someone gives me an opportunity, when I have pocket aces pre-flop and someone shoves, it gives me the opportunity to shove all my money in before the flop, I'm going to do it. Now, one out of every six or seven times, I'm going to lose. Sure. But, you know, when I get the opportunity to get even money or better on something that I'm going to win 80% of the time, I'm going to do that sort of bet. Well, Bitcoin is sort of a different style bet. There, you have you 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 pick your your uh, your number. I personally think it's like fifty percent that Bitcoin becomes digital gold. I think it's that high, and that that's that's wildly bullish. I admit, but fifty percent to get paid fifteen times your money is a bet that is really hard to resist. Which is why when I see people on Twitter, some of them say it outrageously, but it depends on your time preference. Depends how much money you can afford to lose. It depends on a lot of things. But the younger, generally, the younger you are, the more likely. That, that should be a substantial percentage. But if you think about it from a portfolio allocation point of view, where it is part of a diversified portfolio, that sort of bet is the kind of bet as the kind of thing that you really want to be in your portfolio. And that's why I think you're going to see it more and more and more. Right. People have made the argument that you should have Bitcoin, alternative assets in general, but Bitcoin especially in your portfolio, as you said, because it offers idiosyncratic risk. It, it, Effectively, in a world where everything dumps together because they're systemic, you have this chance that it might behave differently and save your portfolio, right? Sort of the holy grail of investing is to find something. But right now, a lot of people are making the argument that it's not behaving that way, that it, you know, it's trading like a tech stock or that it's dumping or that it's literally just tied to M2 monetary supply. And if they cut it, uh, Bitcoin will drop. So what do you say about the correlation argument? Do you believe it's an uncorrelated asset? I believe the asset is uncorrelated, but the option on the asset, which is what we are currently trading, is obviously correlated. Now, it's obviously correlated for a couple of reasons. The fact of the matter is, when some when you lose money in your portfolio because things start dumping, what do you sell? You sell what's most liquid. Let's say you lose money and it's two in the morning. What do you sell? Well, you sell what's most liquid and what I could actually most liquid at that time. So what happens? People who have diversified portfolios that have just taken a beating and have to raise cash will sell what they can. Bitcoin is one of the things they can. So that tends to be why, and, and that tends to be the case of in every big dump, uh, things go to, you know, go toward one. Uh, Bitcoin is dominated by technical traders on the margin. You have a lot of hodlers. You have the, the, the people who believe in the same bet that like me, I haven't traded, well, apart from testing our, our technology at coin routes, I haven't traded my Bitcoin core position uh, since, well, not, not, it's been a while, it's been months. Uh, and when I do, I dollar cost average in over a period of time if I, as, I, as I free up funds in the portfolio to, to do that, and that's it. Now, I don't do that for a couple of reasons, because I've learned that to professionally trade, I have to be like you, staring at the charts and staring at everything minute by minute by minute. And I don't have the time to do that. Uh, I'm running a company after all, and that's that's really what what matters to me is to build coin routes into the preeminent platform. So I focus on that. But the truth of the matter is you can trade Bitcoin technically. If you're doing so, then you literally have to do what you're doing. And you literally have to look at these correlations because that's what people believe today. But there's a concept in investing that, that a lot of people don't understand. It's called regime change. And regime changes are where all the real money is made, like the big, big moves. I, we used to have a joke because I ran StatArb for, for years, both at Solomon Brothers through to Citigroup, and then I ran 
uh, high frequency uh, market making at Two Sigma. We used to have a joke. We used to make fun of a company that used to advertise on CNBC back in the days of the internet bubble and, and, and just after called channelingstocks.com. And they told people you could get guaranteed winners and losers always by buying at the top at the bottom of a channel and selling at the top and that it would always be in this channel and you do well. And when you look at that, they're right. Nine plus out of 10, more than nine out of 10 times you make money. What they don't tell you is on the 10th time when you're wrong, you could lose 20 times you know, that what you make on the times that you're right. And so that's the issue. It's, it's when assets move and the correlations break for a reason. What the Fidelity Report is telling you is that there is an event looming. It might not be for a year. It might not be for five years. It might not be for five days. It could be tomorrow. But there is an event looming, which is there will be a domino set up where people start accepting Bitcoin as core to a portfolio. And that will change the regime. There is smart money who might say, hmm, you know what? I need to get in on that. I mean, Michael Saylor has been very famous for being the evangelist for Bitcoin for MicroStrategy. But what happens if five or 10 major corporate treasurers make the same conclusion? It, it, it really becomes, and if you look at the attendance of his conference, 70,000 people listening to his business you know, investing conference. I mean, it's not like these things are low probability events. I mean, they could happen. So yes, on a technical level today, people look at the Federal Reserve and they look and don't fight the Fed resonates in people's ears and they look at M2 and they say, okay, well, whatever. The reality is the money supply has already grown. We just told you the fundamental base case for Bitcoin is based on M2 that existed 15 years ago would justify over a 10x in Bitcoin. So why do I care, given we've had the greatest expansion in M2 in human history, in recorded history over the last few years, why do I care if that pace slows or even reverses a little bit in terms of the fundamental reason? So there's there's that dynamic tension. The the other argument that I find funny is you get to read these, like Paul Krugman's article, like there's another, there's there always, it's, it's always these the same people, the Bitcoin deniers, and I hate that word because I don't want to shut them up. I want to talk about them and discuss it. But they, they basically beg the question. They say, well, look, it's volatile. Therefore, it can't be used as a store of value. Well, that's a cool argument. There's two really good counter answers. Counter answer I've already said. It's an option. You expect it. Wait for it to mature. Then it's better. Counter argument number two is in places where its volatility is less than the volatility of the fiat currency of that locality, it's already winning. Look at Turkey for the classic, most recent example, but Venezuela and other places. So here in the U.S., it's really easy to say, well, okay, the dollar is stable. Sure it is. It's backed by the biggest military on the planet. And the dollar is, is the global reserve currency. And frankly, as a U.S. citizen, I hope it stays the global reserve currency. I hope that the Treasury gets the understands the reports and understands that allowing stable coins to flourish and grow can cement the dollar as the global reserve currency and doesn't allow the SEC to derail that train, because that would be really bad for all of us. But the fact is, is the U.S. is the last place where Bitcoin will be the true alternative story value. What it really is looking to do is replace what gold used to be. And that's the first yeah. stop. And that, that's what people need to understand. But anyway, does that answer your question? Because it absolutely does. It absolutely does. You'll be happy to know that as we're speaking, Bitcoin just blasted through 40,000. It, I have, uh, it's the problem with looking at your face instead of my chart. Yep, there it is. I'm looking too, and I just saw it ticking in the back. Um, so, and even in the days of uh, sort of downside in the stock market, talking about correlation right now, Bitcoin is absolutely uh, blasting off while the stock market is dropping. So we can uh, make the argument anytime that those are very temporary correlations and maybe just random walks in the park. But anyways, you said that there's an event looming. Obviously, it's this moment when asset allocators say, you know, 1% uh, goes into Bitcoin and there's not enough in the world to accommodate that demand. There's other events looming right? That some would see as bigger and, and more near-term and threatening, and that's obviously regulation, right? So uh, there's some wild proposals happening. <laughs> yeah. Please, I mean, I, have at it. Well, I mean, look, first of all, we've seen, and, and you know I believe this, I, I am appalled, literally appalled at the naked politics being demonstrated by the leadership of the SEC right now. Uh, I, I, I can't I can't phrase it any other way. 
The fact that we have legally trading a Bitcoin ETF backed by futures, which has an implicit 5 to 10% underperformance to a spot ETF, and that was deemed okay for investors. While spot ETFs, even one by Fidelity most recently, get rejected consistently for absolutely idiotic and completely wrong reasons is appalling. Uh, it gives you an idea of why. Now, the reason, the real reason is because uh, the SEC doesn't have control over the spot exchanges. And I think that if they ask for audit ability to look at pricing and manipulation, I think they'd get it. Uh, and we've talked about that before. But right. the reality of this is, is really appalling. And that's because the argument that they use is they say, well, the CME can't be manipulated. Well, guess what? The CME futures moves in lockstep with the spot markets and the derivative markets worldwide. If it didn't, arbitrageurs would make that happen. It has created an economic windfall for arbitrageurs who can access the CME. I mean, frankly, it's amusing because CoinRoutes, we just signed all, all the contracts to do it. I know how much more expensive it is and how out of reach CME futures are and how much more expensive they are to trade than overseas markets that are lesser regulated. But the reality is there's no reason to believe why there's less manipulation on the CME futures of Bitcoin than there is anyplace else, because any manipulation anyplace else will get immediately translated in the price to the CME. And to argue yeah. other than that is literally to show an overwhelming ignorance about markets work. Yet that was what shows up in the denial letters, which is really, really hard for me to believe that anyone could be that dumb. I, uh, and I've said this before. So that's that means they're not right. That means they're not that dumb, maybe. <laughs> well, they, they just they're Delicious. just writing it because right. they're hoping that maybe, you know, that nobody in power will care. The reality is, that is they're harming investors. Right. But if you look at regulation, what came out yesterday was massive news. And, and, and the reason Bitcoin is rallying today is because of this news, I think. I think this is actually a, a, a case of rationality. The IRS saying that you can have a $200 or less transaction in Bitcoin and it is a non-taxable event is earth shattering. It is big. It is, it is right. massive. Well, no, but it gets massive because it allows things like the Lightning Network to actually be used. Now, truthfully, if you sell Bitcoin for a cup of coffee now, you're going to probably feel as stupid as the person who bought two pies of pizza, pizza pies back in the day. And we all know the story. But the fact of the matter is, in terms of eliminating that particular barrier to Bitcoin's use, is I think very big psychologically. I don't think as a practical matter, it matters all that much because I think Bitcoin's price is driven right now, as I've said before, by speculation on that end state that we talked. I talked to death earlier. But the truth is psychologically, it's a big deal. The other big deal we've seen in the news the last few weeks is a growing chorus from very senior people, including you know candidates for the governor of Texas saying, Bitcoin's energy mining can help stabilize their electric grid and promote the use of alternative energy sources. This is something Nick Carter has been screaming from the rooftops, yet we still, you almost can't go a week without seeing some pundit saying, Bitcoin uses more electricity than small countries. Venezuela, yeah, Argentina. I mean, whatever. It, it just, yeah. But the reality is a modern, sustainable world, Bitcoin has a massive place in that world for two reasons. One, because of mining, helping to stabilize the grid, use it being the kind of demander of, of energy that is perfect to incentivize the use of sustainable energies, which by their nature, most of them are not consistent like fossil fuels are on demand. Also burning methane. People on the climate side ignore this fact. Methane gas is, what is it, 20 times more, uh, you know, has the thermo properties you know, in terms of retaining heat than carbon dioxide. So that's why they flare it at natural gas wells. But sometimes it's too expensive to flare it. They just release it in the atmosphere. Bitcoin gives a very strong economic motive to flare it and use it. And that, that's not trivial either. So you have a lot of this stuff and people are talking about it more. So the FUD of the environmental FUD is slowly receding. It's getting harder and harder to argue against. That matters because really... The whole China idea has been turned on its head. Now it's very clear that from a geopolitical point of view, embracing Bitcoin in the United States is smart from a geopolitical strategy point of view vis-a-vis -vis what the CCP did last year. So now you take the environmental you know, FUD out of the way and all of a sudden you start having a very different narrative. The future of cryptocurrency is a multi-chain world, and you can't have a multi-chain world without Horizon who allows these chains to be interoperable. 
Horizon is the zero-knowledge-enabled network of blockchains powered by the largest node system, larger than either Bitcoin or Ethereum, with scalability and flexibility unmatched by others. Blockchains built on Horizon are enhanced by ZK-SNARK privacy tech and provide massive throughput without compromising decentralization. Horizon can support up to 10,000 independent blockchains running in parallel and issue an unlimited amount of tokens. That's why huge projects that you love, like Celsius, Dash, IOTA, GameStation, Hero Engine, and LTO Network are all building their blockchains with Horizon. Anyone can build on Horizon using their platform Zendu, and Horizon is going to issue their own first token on Zendu this year, Zenny Token. If you're not familiar with all the amazing things that this project is doing, check them out at thewolfofallstreets.link slash horizon. That's H-O-R-I-Z-E-N. Do it now. If you're looking for a place to invest in crypto and to trade with and without leverage, earn yield all backed by institutional-grade security, then look no further than Whalefin. Whalefin is a new product powered by Amber Group. It combines the institutional-grade features of the Amber Pro and the intuitive user interface and features of the Amber app. As we enter the metaverse, individual wealth is being built and managed in totally new ways. Whalefin is an all-in-one digital asset platform serving as the gateway to the metaverse and your secure digital wealth partner. Guys, Whalefin combines the world's best investing technology with valuable investment research. It provides the best prices from 100 plus exchanges and venues, all, as I said, with institutional backing and institutional grade security. If you're looking for more information and the perfect platform for trading and investing, then please go to www.thewolfofallstreets.link slash Whalefin. That's slash W-H-A-L-E-F-E. I and check them out now. The only fund that we have right now is the Fed. When you think about it, right? We had this massive dump in May of 2021, which you can say was justified or not. But you had, of course, Elon Musk, which I don't give him any credit there, but people do. So it matters. You had China completely banning it. You had all the energy FUD, as you just said. This time, it's literally just, will the Fed, Fed print less trapped. money? That's the only Let's thing we're talking about. Let's, the only let's thing. get right down to brass tacks. The Fed is trapped, okay? Uh, it's not just the Fed. Uh, which means the, the politicians ECB, are trapped. <laughs> all, basically every central bank, for the most part, is trapped. The ECB is trapped. Germany probably is, is the only country that's slightly better than this. Japan has been trapped. The UK is trapped. The US is trapped. What do we mean by trapped? If long-term rates reverted to just to be zero vis-a-vis the inflation rates, None of the governments in the G7, I think, other than Germany, uh, could possibly finance their debt, meaning the interest payments will overwhelm the entire budget, uh, current revenue structure of almost every government. If interest rates normalize to real interest, if you had 7% long-term rates in the U.S., could the U.S. government, if they were financing their debt at 7%, what would happen? Do the math. You'd have literally zero discretionary spending in the federal budget without going into deficit spending. It would be catastrophic. So if you look at that and you say, okay, so they can't go to, to positive long-term rates or positive short-term rates either because they finance on both ends of the curve. What does that leave you with? That leaves you with jawboning. That leaves you with telling the market, don't speculate and make it worse. We need to cool this down. So they're trying to drive down speculation. And that's probably a good thing. Will it work? In a world where they cannot go to positive real interest rates, can it work? Let's put some history here. Paul Volcker. Now, I was in college at the time when this happened, so I remember it well. And I remember it particularly well because I took an introductory macro course from Professor Robert Gordon, and you can look him up. He wrote the most popular book for introductory macro at that time. And his theory was it would take seven years of recession to squeeze inflation out of the economy. Seven years. I said no. Inflationary expectations could be broken, and it could happen much quicker if and, and having read a lot of monetary policy books in that day, those days, you know, if uh, Milton Friedman was right, and if we could actually uh, do something about the money supply and do something about what's going on there, it could be done much faster. Fast forward two years later, Paul Volcker raised rates and broke the back of inflation. Here's what happened. Inflation was running at 14%. He raised the overnight rate to 20%. Think about that. 6% more than the inflation rate. Today, that would mean raising overnight rates to 10% because we have an inflation rate of seven. Is there one economist even dreaming about raising long-term rates higher than 2% 
And even that is over a two-year that's, period. That's already insane. Yeah, it's the, it's the lower highs. <laughs> so never, the you reality never go is higher. what Volcker did to break inflation by brute monetary force is not on the table. 10% rates would literally be catastrophic with the debt loads that are being carried today. So can the Fed actually do that? The answer is no. So now once you've decided that, now your question is, okay, what is happening? Well, the Fed is trying correctly to decrease speculation. And speculation happens in tech stocks, it happens in crypto, happens in private equity, it happens in NFTs, it happens in you know artwork, it happens in cars, it happens everywhere. The reality is there's speculation going on. And because what speculators do is they buy hoping to sell it to somebody else later. And if you could stop that, then you decrease a price driver that's going into the economy. Smart move. Is what we're talking about with Bitcoin in the long run or even in the intermediate term really speculation? Well, sure, speculators exacerbate the moves. And in, and in May, you mentioned it, the reason that it, that may happen was we had three weeks of huge positive funding rates, people paying a lot more on leverage. Leverage built up. I mean, right now, when I look at, at, at the uh, in inverse perpetuals, the open interest uh, uh, across the board is like a third of what it was yeah. in May. A third. The funding rates are zero. And funding's been vacillating neutral, right? I was going to say it's been it, it's gone negative, positive slightly, but there's been no market raise on either side. Right. So, so long-term speculation on the long side is dramatically lower. In fact, if, if anything, if there is speculation, it's been more on the short side. Sure. Uh, and, and that's hard to get to. And I've kind of gone back and forth over trying to dive into that because people have to understand that a lot of the open interest in these contracts are done by uh, are done by firms who are trying to accommodate long-term holders who are not speculators. So so-and-so bank has a private client that wants to buy Bitcoin. Their bank is not allowed to touch, and I hate the word, physical Bitcoin. God, I hate that they say that, but that's what they do. They can't touch Bitcoin spot. So what do they do? They buy a long-term swap contract from Bank X, whether that's JP Morgan or whoever, it doesn't really matter. What does JP Morgan do? Well, then they go to a market maker in the space who basically sells them that back to back. And that market maker now hedges it. Market maker is going to be long, whichever is the cheapest thing to hold at any point in time. So when perpetuals are cheap to hold, they're, they're long perpetuals. When futures are long, they are the cheapest thing to hold. They're long the future. When spot's the cheapest thing to hold, they're long the spot. And they trade around that. And that causes a lot of Brownian motion. It doesn't really mean anything. So there's a certain amount of open interest that's structural based upon servicing some subset of clients who that was their method of choice of buying. And so you have to understand that. But the, to get back to speculation, it's really important to understand that we don't have a lot right now. And look, at every single time the market starts to gap up, it gets to get price discovery. If we got past, I think you've isolated 43,000 as the next major resistance level. 39.6 and then kind of 42, 43. Yeah, I, you know, baby steps. <laughs> right. So every time you get past a major resistance level, there are people whose trading strategies say, oops, time to buy. Let's hope yeah, it's going to pounce The bots in. kick in. Yeah, the algorithm, algos kick in, of course. Right. And so, and then they liquidate if it doesn't follow through. And a large part of why the analysis and why you do such a service for people is because that analysis works because of all these underlying factors. Where it ceases to work is when there's something else going on, like another big source of demand or another or a source of supply comes on the market because a fund goes belly up and has to liquidate and has to sell their holdings. Both of those things happen on both the downside and the upside. And, and people need to understand that there's all this stuff going on. That's that regime change side. But the reality is, is it feels to me like for this 40 level and whether it's 39, six, whatever, is very hard to get through because the speculators yeah. are going to fade every rally. So without a long term source of demand kicking in, it won't get through it. If it does, look what happened last year at this time. Yeah, uh, of course. I mean, absolute mayhem. We went from these prices to 65,000 in a matter of uh, really weeks, you know, months, weeks. At this price, we went from like 20,000 in a matter of like, a, you know. Right. I just remember that on in January of 2021, price was 42,000. And in January of 2022, price was 42,000. I just sort of that, that, that sticks with me. But obviously, we traded all around that. Well, I remember Thanksgiving of 2020, the Thanksgiving yeah. Day oh, massacre. Thanksgiving was 20. Yep, and we were we were well below twenty thousand at that point. Yep. So Absolutely. I mean, look, you, 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 these things vastly. It is an option on an interesting long term scenario, and it's going to move like that, and and it will continue to move like that. And as long as you understand that, 
it's fine. But I mean, today it's pretty broad based. I'm looking at Ethereum flirting with 3000 again, right? So it's not just Bitcoin. Yeah, and if one of the key parts of, speaking of Ethereum, of Fidelity's report that I absolutely loved, something I've been saying for a long time. First of all, is that the notion of a cryptocurrency is such a misnomer that we need to just assassinate that that name and, and bury it and let it die because most of these are not currencies and it sort of puts this force mentality of putting everything in one bucket. So Bitcoin first, they said this, I say this all the time, but Bitcoin and everything else in my mind, right? There's Bitcoin and then there's a whole bunch of technology investments that are VC backed that you can be passionate about and invest in. And so that was their other approach that is being less talked about. I think was that you can approach this market in two ma massive baskets. I think that that's something that we, we, this is what's called a violent agreement. I've been saying that for a very long time. I think Bitcoin, I, I, I've told you, you know, you would listen to me and think I'm a Bitcoin maxi. I'm not. Why am I not? Because there, there is clearly the possibility for tremendous value in many other projects for many other verticals and many other things. The fact is those are different investments, uh, different investment cases. doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means they're different. Yeah, I mean, I always make it. It's like you. It's almost like if you were a gold maximalist and for some reason passionately believe that Amazon stock was a threat to your gold thesis. Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. I mean, look, Ethereum gas fees are high. We understand it. You know, the NFT world is a is, is truly revolutionary. I, I can't even possibly do it justice. We don't have the time to do it. But I will give. You know, it, it's like you know. Masari did that. Did a phenomenal job. Ryan wrote a tremendous job uh, in his 2022 theses when he talks about this. And anyone who wants to know about NFTs or wants to understand what the use cases are and stuff, I always point them in that direction. But the truth of the matter is, there is a sea change going on of an entirely new asset class of crypto cryptographic assets. I won't call them currencies. There are yeah. a few things which pretend to be currencies to compete with Bitcoin. Sure. I don't want to dive into it. On that, I suppose I'm much more of a maxi in Me that too. regard. You're not, you just can't, you're not, yeah, you're not being, making a better Bitcoin. I think right. we agree. But, but there is, there is clearly scope for multiple layer ones for different use cases or smart contracts. And we haven't even talked about DeFi. That'll be another one. But the truth of the matter is if Bitcoin dramatically rallies, the entire asset class will rally. You will see charlatans. You will see profiteers. You will see hype. We've seen it before. We'll see it again. It happens in every cycle. And it's, it's unfortunate, but it's no different than looking back 22 years ago and seeing all the crap that was being peddled at the same time as Amazon. And right. a few years later, when Google came out, et cetera, et cetera. And the amount of wealth that's been made by the technology, by the winners in that technology, and by no means is it limited to Amazon and Google. There are hundreds of companies that have valuable niches in the, the internet world and in the, the, the digital world that have all made money uh, from gaming through others. The fact of the matter is there were also hundreds that were complete frauds. And it, we've seen this in every case. And it, so in other words, when people say, oh, look at all the fraud that goes on in crypto, that, that's proof of it being a terrible asset class. It's like, well, if you did that, then you would say that the stock market, technology stocks, you would have dismissed that out of hand. And frankly, once upon a time, Warren Buffett did dismiss technology stock investing out of hand. So it, it, it is, it's kind of funny. People don't like to think about it, but it's true, right? You have a world where guilt by association gets used so often, but it's wrong. Yeah, I love, I had Mark Yusko on not that long ago, and he basically made the point that he jokes that he's always, like if you're early in investing on something, then people are going to always say that you're, on the side of the criminals or the or the pornographers or the scammers. He was like, you know, I was early on the internet. Everybody said, that's just for porn. I was early on Bitcoin. Everybody said, that's just for buying drugs, right? And the people who get it realize the greater use case than just those things. And we still see those same criticisms, unbelievably, of crypto, you know, 13 years into, into its existence. Yep. No, it's true. It's funny because if you look at the amount of fines paid for money laundering using cash and using bank accounts, uh. It's dramatic. And, and people just ignore it. It, it really is. It's, it's sad in a way. It's cognitive you know, dissonance. How many people are just, it, it, it just goes to show an old, an old communication theory of cognitive dissonance. Once people are proven wrong 
on something, they have two options. They can either accept it and change their opinion, or they dig their heels in and get even stronger opinions that were stronger wrong opinions, because they want to convince themselves that they're not stupid. And so they start looking for arguments to justify their position. And it, it creates a, a, a sad little circle where they just kind of lose all their credibility. And we're seeing that. I mean, I mentioned Krugman. I mean, in his case, the internet one was probably the worst one. I mean, he sort of recovered from that. His arguments were, every single one of them were these beg the question style arguments where you see it's, yeah. it's used for criminals. So therefore law-abiding people shouldn't use it, that kind of stuff, which is really silly. Right, it makes absolutely no sense. Maybe the criminals know something that you don't. <laughs> um, and and you making that point, we just saw, I mean, I just love this case, right? We saw, there was a massive Bitfinex hack in 2016 that was widely publicized. Well, a lot of those coins just moved for the first time in years, billions of dollars worth. But the criminals who hacked in 2016 have yet to be able to actually turn any of that into dollars, right? They're moving it around, but they've never been able to actually realize any of the profits of a multi-billion dollar hack because it's a public ledger and there's no way for them to get their cash out. I think I told you this the first time I was on the show, I would listen to a senior investigator from the FBI say, we don't go out of our way to dissuade criminals from using Bitcoin because we love it when they do. Yeah, it's easy to track. Cash, very, very difficult. Unless it's like one of those movies where you open the suitcase and the blue uh, paint shoots in your face, right? That's the only, <laughs> that's the only way you can, uh, you can track the cash, which apparently is a, is a true thing. Enough. So, so the bottom line here is uh, dollar cost average, buy and hold Bitcoin and wait. I mean, well, no, that is for your unsophisticated trading investor. There are ways, Bitcoin is an enormously valuable asset for traders who are skilled and put in the time and effort to do their research. There, And it is, I mean, look, every trader I know, and, and I'm on the board of New York security traders, and there are many people in that organization. We hate the word security traders, which we could change it to asset traders because so many people are trading crypto uh, because of the volatility and because of the way that, you know, that, that, they, that it trades. Trader's but what's dream. important is, is people who trade crypto, it should come with a warning label. Uh, please make sure that you match your time preference. Please make sure that you understand how to do calculate portfolio risk and money management. Please do your own research and don't just rely upon what some idiot says on Twitter uh, off one off. Uh, if you want to follow someone and read all their conclusions and dig in deep and follow them, that makes perfect sense. And there are lots of brilliant people who put a lot of really great advice on Twitter. You're one of them, but there are many. The fact is, is I bifurcate it. Trading, it's a great vehicle. Investing, I think you're better off dollar cost averaging and holding. But that is that. But, but that difference matters, right? And 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 I like to make it that way. I know. Look, you're you're too humble to say it, but people who follow you and understand, and and there are others, will potentially and will typically outperform the holders. But it, it's a time commitment. And it's a psychology yes. commitment and there is a loss part of it. And you need to understand what a stop loss is. And you need to understand money management and risk control. And if you don't and you lever 20 times or more, uh, you're going to get hurt. And you may be like that channelingstocks.com. You make money, you may win 15 times in a row and be up a lot and then lose 100% of all your profits and everything else on the 16th time when you're wrong. And you, that's what you want to avoid at all costs. All about avoiding the blowups. I love that you have enough faith in humanity to think that they would actually read those terms and conditions that you just laid out, right? <laughs> you say, don't do this, don't do that. Nobody listens to any of that. They just uh, see the one I thing that you say, faith. he's bullish. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. cynical. I just, what I don't want to do is dissuade people who are willing to put in the time and effort. Absolutely. That's all I'm saying. But for the I average it. person- Do the work. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely agree. So where can everybody follow you and keep up with you after this conversation? Well, I mean, I post at, at, at Dave Weisberger one. Don't ask why I had to do the one on Twitter. It was a Twitter problem uh, on Twitter. Uh, um, you know, Dave, or Dave Weisberger, David Weisberger on LinkedIn. We're also at CoinRoutes and there will be some news on CoinRoutes coming out very shortly uh, in terms of the completion of a funding round and some other things that will be interesting to people, awesome. which will be awesome. out in a variety of social media places. I'm sorry we didn't talk about that more. I got carried away and then That's okay. It's we'll we'll, we'll have we have plenty of things going on. Yeah, Dave Weisberger one is the right name. You're the only one, clearly, in, in, in our minds. So thank you very much for doing this once again. Listen, I think that this is the uh, closest back to back that I've had a guest on the show, right? You were just on like uh, two months ago. 
So uh, maybe we'll have to make it a more regular thing that every time something absolutely insane happens in the market, we just talk about it. <laughs> Happy to do it, Scott. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Dave.